Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest streaming releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte. We have four movies for you this week. Bill and Ted Face the Music, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, The Surrogate, and The Binge. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale with Binge It being our highest rating. Consuming moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Life is too short for that mess, except when that mess has the same name as your podcast. The Binge! The Binge, guys! It's really, it's our meta week. It's meta week. Because not only are we reviewing a Charlie Kaufman movie, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are also reviewing a movie that shares the same name as our own show. Will we project our frustrations and shortcomings with ourselves onto the movie? Time will tell. <laughs> it's incentive to stick around to the end and hear what we have to say about the movie that shares our own name. <laughs> but, uh, but in the meantime, uh, Rebecca, what's up with you? Um, well, I think actually a question for you, technical question. Can you hear in my mm. fan? I'm not, I don't think so. I mean, mm. if I do, it's like a very low, it's like a very low, normal sounding kind of uh, hum. Good. Uh, because it is 92 degrees in my apartment right now <laughs> and I'm in the room with all the electric electronic equipment. Um, uh-huh. and I was like, I have to have the fan in here. I don't think that uh, sweating on the microphone is going to add anything to the sonic quality of the show. Um, Mm, And, mm -hmm. you know, unless the hum is too loud, uh, I'll keep it on because it is hot. And that's okay because, you know, there's uh, the outside um, where at night the air gets cooler, but we can't go there uh, (laughs) on account of the air quality. So, yeah, but we could go to like, you know, maybe a pool or the beach if there wasn't a pandemic. Um, but things are good. Um, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like, uh, you know, putting on a, a sweat jacket, just, I'm going to put on all my sweaters and my coat and I'm going to get rid of my um, pandemic 15, even though I don't feel like it has affected me as much in weight gain so much as m- muscle loss. Ooh. Mm. Uh, because I don't, walk and i never walked a lot before um i yeah. hate hiking i hate walking i hate mm, all of that i know you have all those those, those little wheelie shoes so you can just kind mm-hmm. of scoot mm-hmm. whenever you go places no uh-huh. actual steps taken it's very it's very mariah carey christmas concert you know you're just you prefer to be <laughs> wheeled into spaces and then wheeled back out of them <laughs> while maintaining eye contact mm-hmm. so wheeled back. absolutely yeah but with one with, with one finger to one ear yeah, yeah yes um the little things, walking to the car, even walking <laughs> from the car to my office, walking to my desk and then back, uh, yeah. you know, the 20 steps I used to have a day is now down to like four. Um, yeah. and yeah. I think that I'm just uh, a slow state of constant atrophy. Uh, so mm. I'm doing well. How about you? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, while you were talking, I started sort of like self-consciously fanning the back of my knees with my hand. Uh, because, uh, because it is also hot here, guys, we're in a heat wave. Um, if you were in California, you know, if you're outside of California, you may have heard, uh, but yeah, crazy heat wave going on right now. And I know that for, for many people, 
uh, the idea of the weather being in the 90s is by no means a bizarre thing uh, for this time of year. But the thing to remember about those of us in the Bay Area, and especially uh, San Francisco and, and close to San Francisco, is that we don't have air conditioners. Nope. We just don't because we do not need them. Uh, like the, an entire year can go by without the weather ever getting so hot that you actually need air conditioning. Um, and so right now we're we're all very uncomfortable. <laughs> I've I lived here it, this year. It's ten years, and um, the first year I needed a fan was about three years ago, uh-huh. and then. I just moved to a new apartment in April and I was like, we should get a fan because we're working from home. And I was like, you yeah. never know. We bought a fan. Smart. Thank God. And then we got a, a Dyson air purifier a few weeks ago because of the air quality issues. Um, so we have two fans. So, I mean, mm. I shouldn't be complaining. We are living in the lap of luxury, but <laughs> uh, now, I mean, the fan is like a constant. It's, this is the second heat wave that we've had and yeah. it's just on constantly but then you know you got to you got to balance it out because they're the rolling blackouts and um you don't want to use all the electricity at once yeah you know if you because if you get used to that fan and then you go without the fan because the power's out it's going to feel even hotter because you you have had relief from it as opposed to our approach which is more you know slow boil lobster <laughs> uh <laughs> So that's kind of more the angle we're taking. And we, we have not. Doing? We are. Yeah, we're boiling like lobsters. And uh, we don't have an air purifier, uh, air purifier, which somebody from work the other day was mentioning his. And he's like, oh, what kind do you have? I'm like, oh, we don't have one. And he was so appalled uh, and in concern that I feel like maybe we're going to die soon um, because we've <laughs> still had like we have the windows open right now. Um, and so I guess, yes, this like smoky air is just openly flowing through our apartment and Scott doesn't really know us because he has a, a weaker sense of smell. And so, but I'm aware of it. So I guess I'm the one who's responsible if we both get killed by smoky <laughs> air. And now I've played this out here on this podcast and now it'll be used against me posthumously. It's like, well, he knew. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, but, uh, but that, uh, but that leads into, into what's up with me because, uh, this, <laughs> this space that we are living in and in which I am slowly poisoning us, um, it will not be our space much longer because as I mentioned on the last episode, uh, we are, uh, in the process of moving. Uh, in the last episode I was fretting about all of the, uh, sort of various bad things that we learned once we had the inspection of this new place we're moving in LA uh, but now things are looking better. Uh, right. Yeah, things. So basically, I mean, the, the inspection is still um, was still very long and uh, it still had a few issues that need to be addressed very soon. Um, but basically, the sellers kind of made it right. And uh, so we're, we're much less kind of like likely to walk away now. In fact, we cannot walk away (laughs) (laughs) Um, because we signed away our contingencies. Uh, So now we are more or less locked in. And it's by the time that we tape our next episode of this, um, it will have closed. We will have closed Ah. on the house. So it's this coming like right now we're taping this on Labor Day, which also happens to be the first anniversary of the world premiere of Hustlers. Uh, mm. So very exciting, but also a sad reminder that I'm normally not here right now. <laughs> I'm normally I'm normally not taping episodes of our show in early September because I am at what? Ding! TIFF. Um, right. But uh, 
But three days from now on the 10th is when the final walkthrough of this place is scheduled. And then the 15th is when it closes. Um, so yeah, it is, it is, it is all happening and it is very exciting and also very scary and intimidating. Uh, so I believe that we are on track to tape one last episode, uh, of this, of our show in this space in which we started the show. And after that, I'll be taping it in LA. So don't worry guys, the show is not going away. I've had, I've had all three listeners reach out to make sure that the show is not (laughs) The show is not going to end. Oh, good. Um, you haven't answered me about that. No, no. I'm, I'm still, well, my answer to you is that I'm still considering it. But, <laughs> but, um, but to the listeners, I've assured them that we are going to continue. And it's, uh, a, it's 111 in LA right now, right? It is. It is. Uh, so it's good that our new place has a pool. Amazing. So I will have that to look forward to. Um, so yeah, so that's, 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 that remains sort of the biggest thing going on with me. Um, and it's, I've, I've kind of hit that kind of senioritis, uh, moment in my, <laughs> in my, in my San Francisco life where, you know, where it's sort of like, you know, when you're in your last year of high school and you're just kind of like, okay, let's just like get this over with already. Um, right, you, like, does your apartment where you've lived for the past, like what, 10 or something oh, years now feel like complete trash to you? <laughs> kind of um you know I, I certainly i mean i have not lived yet in this new house so i'm sure once that is happening if i were to ever to come back here i'd be like this shit pile but <laughs> um but yeah I'm, I'm trying to just be present uh for our final weeks in this space we've been in since 2009 um and uh yeah just to try to just kind of live more or less the way we normally do because you know i know that once we've moved i will still look back on this place with a lot of fondness and i will miss it so i'm in so i'm just trying to you know be present which obviously it's easy to be present during a pandemic because you can't really go anywhere so mm-hmm. i am here uh so that is what's going on with me uh also speaking of tiff contrary to popular belief it is actually still happening this year um oh. It is just happening uh, in an online format with a reduced uh, program guide. So, and I am still technically going to TIFF just from my living room. Wow. So yeah. then the, the ban they have against you doesn't translate to an online. No. Yeah. Thing. I don't have to, wor- I don't have to worry about, you know, using my disguise when I check in at the Toronto Hilton this year. So, oh. um, yeah, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Um, and, until I, <laughs> until I try to log on to the secure platform to start watching the movies and then there's just a screensaver, your face comes up because they've actually worked with you to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to basically pull a surprise on me to be like, Find just your kidding. yeah, you're not welcome. Um, and, and Rebecca is so, haha. I mean, we, so. we've talked, Tiff and I talked and <laughs> we just couldn't take you being obnoxious for another year so. Yeah, no, understandable. Uh, you know, and and they, 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 it's bad for their brand to have me going around talking about them so much. The ding thing really bothers them. Yeah, they don't like it. They're like, that's really not kind of like, we're not very Bell focused. Mm-hmm. Um, um, although Bell is one of their primary sponsors. So I actually think it is Bell themselves <laughs> who, uh, who are who are leading this charge against me because <laughs> yeah we don't do the ding and it sounds like this homo is like out here speaking on behalf of us and he isn't so mm-hmm. regardless all um, in all just trademark yeah volleys left and right yeah pretty much um so when we tape our our next episode i think it's going to be right at the end of the festival so i will likely have a recap of uh of whatever i managed to watch during those 
during those 10 days. Um, and we'll see if I actually watch anything because the difference with this, unlike normally, is, you know, normally my work does continue while I'm at TIFF, but I am just physically in screening, so I can't do it. Um, in this case, I will, I don't think I can tell my manager, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm not going to be online. Yes, I will be at my computer. Yes, I will be available. <laughs> But I'll be watching movies. I don't think he's gonna. <laughs> I don't think he's gonna go for that. Uh, so, uh, so we'll see how many I actually get to watch, since I will actually be working full time the whole time. But anyway, well, I love it. I'll have an update on that next time. Excellent. Um, shall we start with the movies for this week? Let's do it. All right. The first movie we have is Bill and Ted Face the Music. Once told, they saved the universe during a time traveling adventure. Two would-be rockers from San Dimas, California, find themselves as middle-aged dads, still trying to crank out a hit song and fulfill their destiny. So let's talk about our history with the Bill and Ted movies. Uh, oh. Rebecca, have, uh, have, have you seen the first two? Uh, oh, uh, I've seen the first one, uh, mm. but like when it came out and not since. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you? Well, did you have fond memories of the first one? I did. Um... I, I was tempted to rewatch it uh, either right before, or right after this one, but timing didn't allow. Um, and I also I watched it with my my partner Soul, who has not seen it, um, mm-hmm. and uh, now really I think really wants to. Um, <laughs> Does she? So so she 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 appreciates this this new movie enough that she wants to see uh, the origin story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's mm-hmm. good. I'm glad to hear it. I uh, I I was very much raised on the first movie. On Bill and oh. Ted's Excellent Adventure, that was one of the one of a handful of movies that I would watch on repeat uh, in my childhood. And uh, but I I hadn't watched it in probably I'm going to say at least 25 years. Uh, and then um, two weekends ago or so, Scott and I watched um, the first one one night and the second one the next night. In preparation for this. Yeah, yeah, kind mm. of just a pregame for watching the new one. And the second one is called Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Mm-hmm. I had not watched that but once uh, way back when. So watching them back to back was uh, was fascinating because, you know, the first one is it's such it's such a, a throwback, of course, to to late 80s sort of Southern California culture. Uh, it is it is such a it's such a charmer. It's so sweet. It's so goofy. Uh, and it really I had I had lost track of the extent to which the entire movie is kind of a trick into making you care about education. <laughs> yeah. Uh, be, yeah. Because, you know, like they, they are, yeah, these kind of slacker guys and they're, you know, failing history. And so, and then, you know, magically they are contacted by George Carlin and put in a, you know, phone booth that goes and sends them through time. And then they are just gathering up all these different historical figures to pull on a wild, uh, you know, sort of a book report for, uh, for the, for the whole school. So, uh, it's 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 kind of hilariously square in a way, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it is you know it just has charm for days. Um, then the second one, whew, the second one is dark. The second one is very very dark. Uh, the original title of the second one was actually Bill and Ted Go to Hell, mm-hmm. uh, because it is a it's a sort of a much more dystopian sci-fi take on the uh, sweetness of the first one in which uh, robot versions of Bill and Ted, evil robot versions of Bill and Ted are dispatched from the future back to San Dimas to kill Bill and Ted, which they do in the beginning of the movie. 
And then Bill and Ted go to hell. And then they go on this whole journey with death, played by William Sadler, uh, to try to get back to San Dimas to save their princesses who are now being preyed upon by these evil robots. So um, rewatching that one, I, I, I don't know that I care to see it again. It is it really is a it's a very, very dark a uh, very scary kind of movie. And when did and that I, one come out? That was 91. 90. And so the first uh, one was like 89, right? And then 89, it was yeah. Pretty close after. Okay. Yeah, they are both they're both first Bush. They're both first Bush era. <laughs> uh, um, so those were those were two of the cultural artifacts of George uh, of George H.W. Bush's presidency. Um and yeah, it was uh and it's funny just with Keanu Reeves's career um mm. because I think he shot the second one like in between my own private Idaho and Bram Stoker's Dracula. So he was, <laughs> he was kind of off to the races, um, you know, becoming a, a very, uh, you know, famous actor doing lots of interesting prestige work. And Alex Winter was doing this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's, it, it's, it was fascinating to go back and see them, uh, to see them back to back. And I was stunned and impressed that Bill and Ted Face the Music actually acknowledges Bogus Journey as much as it acknowledges Excellent Adventure. It's really, uh, I, I was certain, Scott and I, when we were watching Bogus Journey, we're like, they are not going to acknowledge any of this. <laughs> they are going to pretend this movie didn't happen. Um, but they they really, like, the it's this movie, Face the Music, is written by the same screenwriters who wrote the first two. And God love them. They are, they are, they are like, no, this is a part of our mythology and we are not going to write it off, even though it was a giant bomb. And by that point, people had moved on to like Wayne's world. This does uh, explain the parts that I didn't quite understand. Yeah. Death for instance, being the basis. Death. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, it still worked. Um, it just seemed more like absurd, not knowing that it was yeah. a reference to the second movie uh, and, and almost made it more endearing, but also <laughs> It does make me want to see the second movie now as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, they uh, in sort of the intro to the movie, as we're having sort of the, the setup being told by uh, by their daughters, uh, played by Samara Weaving and Bridget Lundy Payne. Uh, they were like, well, you probably last saw our dads uh, at this moment. And they fully show the finale of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. So right then and there, I was like, well, huh? well, that's well, how about that? <laughs> and uh, and they do kind of have this this, you know, the, the, the final reunion between Bill and Ted and death sort of going into the final act of the movie feels like they really labored over it. <laughs> um, it almost throws off the pacing, but I feel like they really wanted to make that a big scene for William Sadler to play. <laughs> so they kind of, <laughs> it's not, it's not a kind of the usual Bill and Ted. They like drop in like death. He's like guys. And then they go off together. Uh, it's a very lengthy, very dialogue driven <laughs> scene in which they must persuade death to once again, play the bass. So, <laughs> you know, bassists, that's how bassists are. We know this. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they really just got to pull teeth to get them back on board with things. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so what was, uh, how were you, how were you thinking uh, of this movie as it, as it unfolded? Um, I mean, the movie maintains the, what I remember of being like the sweetness and the general, um, good vibe of the characters. Um, mm -hmm. it also has in what I assume is not taken from the second movie, but, um, uh, I, they made a very purposeful choice to lead a lot with their daughters and mm -hmm. have them have their own, you know, kind of side quest um, that ends up being really pivotal to the plot of the movie. Uh, what did you think about the the characters um, that play their daughter, which is what Billy and Thea uh, named after 
Bill and Ted, but they're each <laughs> right. other's kids, respectively. What right. did you think about, uh, you know, how they sort of portrayed being little Bill and Ted? <laughs> um, I think that generally they both did a great job. Um, I I just read something uh, that that articulates something that I, I had kind of thought and hadn't fully put into words, which is that Bridget Lundy Payne, who plays uh, young Ted, actually does a better job uh, evoking young Keanu Reeves than current day Keanu Reeves does. <laughs> uh, uh, like she is like, it, you know, it, it, there's not much to her performance um, and she hasn't really as, you know, her career hasn't been as rich as Samara Weavings who plays young Ted. Mm. Samara Weaving is a legitimate star, you know, and she was the lead in Ready or Not. And she, I mean, she's, she's a very accomplished actress. Uh, so I was almost surprised to see her playing this role. Um, but, uh, and she, and she's great in it, but yeah, Bridget Lundy oh, Payne. Right. She's from Hollywood, right? The, uh, Ryan yeah. Mm-hmm. I th- yeah, she, yeah, she's in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she was a, she was a series regular on Smilf. She's been in ton- She's an Australian actress. She's fantastic. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Bridget Lundy Payne does an A plus job of contorting her face and doing the mannerisms of 1989 Keanu Reeves, A plus, 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 plus. <laughs> And uh, so I, I thought that they were both I thought they were both more than up to the task. I thought that he did a great job not letting the pace kind of the pace of the energy die whenever it's on them, because that's the risk you run. Right. Mm-hmm. In this in this kind of fan service movie um, to have a whole storyline that is not about Bill and Ted is very risky because fans want to see Bill and Ted. Right. So you have so you have to have actors playing those daughters that are not going to just drop the ball and have the whole movie die whenever they're on screen. And that does not happen. I think they, they, they both bring a lot of energy to it and they absolutely keep the pace and tone and energy of the movie going whenever they're on screen. That's what I thought. Yeah. Especially I think, uh, they kind of do the, the core role of what the Bill and Ted characters did in the old movie, which is, you know, kind of going and gathering historical figures, Mm -hmm. um, which was, I I thought it was so rad to watch them, you know, uh, espouse their musical expertise and, mm-hmm. you know, go through time, you know, further and further back to to, to gather influences of influences um, for a, a real a diverse lineup of um, time <laughs> and space from Jimi Hendrix and Kid Cudi to uh, <laughs> Mozart and uh, a, a flautist from... Mm-hmm. 15th century China, I believe, mm-hmm. seeing their energy and their, they kind of had that same, you know, uh, good vibe of being supportive of their dads and being really into the mission and just like loving music uh, was, was just so much fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. You know, like it, it, that's 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 why this movie works so well, because it, it really it feels like a, a just a, an unbroken continuation of the energy of the first movie, which was just very sweet, very goofy, somehow, you know, very, very low stakes, you know, in a very <laughs> in a very appealing way, even though the stakes in this one are much higher uh, because, you know, the, the, the you know premise essentially is that, uh, you know, Bill and Ted are given the the running time of the movie to write a song that will unite the universe or else the space time continuum will break uh, irrevocably and everything will be over. So, um, and, the, and I'll say this also, the movie actually stays true to its time because every time that they say like, Oh, there's this much time left. There's this much time left. I would like make a note to myself to be like, okay, the oh, movie really? ends at such. Yeah. It, it actually, it's true. It stays, it's, 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 it's aim is true with the, the little time markers. 
So I don't know. I don't know how they did that, but uh, but good work. Good work Doesn't to the movie feel on. It. No, I know. And yet, uh, because it's like maybe 15 minutes into the movie, whenever they first have this encounter with uh, Kristen Shaw as Kelly, daughter of Rufus. And she's like, yeah, it's going to end in 77 minutes. And I was like, that's very specific. And that feels like it might be the amount of time left in this movie. <laughs> and sure enough, uh, they actually they actually stick the landing on that stuff. So that was cool. Uh, Kristen Shaw. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Kristen Shaw and uh, there's Jillian the, Bell. Jillian Bell, right, plays the therapist. Mm. Um, I don't know who the actor is that plays uh, Dennis, uh, the oh. robot that is sent to to kill them. So, do you know who that was? That that is Noho Hank from Barry. Really? You, that's Noho yes. Hank from Barry. Yeah. No. that best performance in the movie best like watch steals the movie steals the movie 100 percent incredible it feels like it was like there's like a set of comedians writing kind of one-off lines of dialogue that are just so (laughs) hilarious yeah because it does feel like it does a good job of um of both preserving bill and ted in their own sort of like sensibility while also having a more modern comedic sensibility for these kind of, you know, you're you're just these great comedy players who are brought in just to, you know, sort of do character work and and you know do great one-liners and and that kind of thing like like you know Shaw and Bell and and, and Noho Hank, so yeah, it, it it manages to sort of keep both going concurrently. He was so good. Um, yeah. The 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 climax of the movie ultimately complete nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Shameless plug for Guitar Center. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Ableton pushes and, and sampling devices and software. Um, <laughs> but it couldn't have mattered less. Nope. To me. Nope. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, in, it, it's, it's interesting. I saw uh, some, uh, some piece about this that was uh, sort of contextualizing it as a kind of almost... Uh, Mm, you know almost like a memorial of sorts to like the death of the gen x dream <laughs> mm. uh you know sort of like being like this is this is like the the reality of generation x this is where gen x is in middle age um you know just sort of like cor- coping with uh with with perhaps a, you know a lack of achievement with sort of never having realized this dream um and ultimately sort of their saving trait being that they are the parents of millennials <laughs> um <laughs> and who are who are getting things done uh so yeah so it's interesting i guess to look at it from that sort of uh you know generational perspective this movie really scratches the itch of um that i've had for summer blockbusters um mm. especially now that it is 90 five degrees i think inside the house uh i've just been watching uh do you ever watch there's a channel on youtube they do honest trailers uh you know i always see them being shared i never watch them some of them are truly hilarious um and i had just seen one on on back to the future and you know just kind of thinking about that era of movies uh bill and ted back to the future these sort of summer blockbuster jurassic park has these sequels but has like um a sweetness that we need right now, mm. uh, a mm. sense of purpose. What is what is the teen market now? What what is the equivalent of that now? Is it the Marvel movies? 
Um, I mean, the teen market now is just YouTube, right? Uh, you know, there, there, there isn't really, I think the teen market is YouTube. The teen market is Netflix. The teen market is, you know, movies on Netflix, like the kissing booth. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, there are those stars that resonate for teenagers and it's very, it seems like it's very rarely about actually, um, you know, getting out to, to theaters and certainly not right now. Um, but, uh, but yes, I mean, I, I don't know that this movie is going to be, uh, you know, a runaway hit with, with teenagers, but for us old assholes, uh, who, uh, we're just like, yes, please. Uh, so the Keanu of it all, I was trying to put my finger on what exactly I was finding troubling about his performance in this movie. And I knew it was something to do with his physicality. Um, and by the end, I I think I had I had I had put my finger on it. It's that his eyebrows don't move. Oh, his eyebrows don't go up. Ever he does or not, now? N- like in this movie. Okay. In this movie, present day Keanu Reeves, I feel like maybe uh, I don't know how much of it is is injectables. I don't know how much of it was a you know medium facelift or a full facelift. But his his face is granite. His face is rock solid. It does not move. Um, and this character is so expressive, uh, you know, at, at least in the original. And that's why you kind of need Bridget Lundy Payne with the assist as the daughter mm. um, to to just do this full on rubber face uh, performance. Because because when you go back and watch, like if, if you do take soul back to watch the, the first movies, you'll see like his face is so rubbery the entire time. And his eyebrows are like they never come down. Like he has his eyes <laughs> wide and his eyebrows up. Right. Like, whoa, the entire movie. And Alex Winter still does that in this movie. Like he is just mm-hmm. as expressive as he was in the first two movies. Like his he looks significantly older, but he he is just as expressive. His voice sounds the same. His eyes look the same. But Keanu, his voice doesn't sound the same and his face doesn't move. So to <laughs> me, it kind of took away. Um, I mean, I love that he was willing to do this movie um, at this point in his career, because, of course, he, he is still a, a giant star. Uh, even though he's more on the sort of Nicolas Cage end of the spectrum at this point. Um, but yeah, it was a little, it kind of took away some of the enjoyment for me. Um, just the the lack of expression, the lack of expressiveness. Yeah. I think that for all of the credit he's been getting lately for, you know, kind of continuing to excel at uh, John Wick movies. Um, and what was the movie he was in? Always be my maybe. Exactly. Thank you. There's a real um, appreciation for him right now. And yeah. I think there was maybe too much expectation for him to just continue to be amazing and, and knock this out of the park. And yeah. again, like a, a plus for being in it. He doesn't have mm-hmm. to. He doesn't need to do it unless he <laughs> signs some sort of contract back in 1989. That's like we said we would do this. Yeah. Um, it's not at the expectation, I think, because he's just been knocking things out of the park left and right. And this is not that. Um, yeah, but luckily there's enough around to make up for it. Yeah, exactly. I would agree. Uh, what are you going to give this? Uh, I'm going to give it a binge it. I'm going to give it a binge it too. This is actually my pick of the week. <laughs> really? <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is my pick of the week. I, I really enjoyed this. Like this really like you, you, you said it exactly right. Like it actually does scratch the itch of just like a feel good, good time summer movie, like in a way that that no other movie this season that I've seen has. Go get some popcorn, you know, um, go get a giant 
soda and and enjoy this movie one this one on the couch you can get it on uh apple or amazon or google and uh it's rated pg-13 for some language movie number two this the, <laughs> the way we ordered the movies this week is a real roller coaster uh, <laughs> buckle up yeah buckle up um for a two and a half hour car drive where you just sit and jason and i talk to each other while we drive through the snow in uh. i'm thinking of ending things Full of misgivings, a young woman travels with her new boyfriend to his parents' secluded farm. Upon arriving, she comes to question everything she thought she knew about him and herself. Let's get this out of the way first. Um, When we watched uh, Wild Rose, Mm. you couldn't stop talking about Jesse Buckley. Yeah. Let's let's go ahead and and get that out of the way here. She is the (laughs) best part of this movie. Far and away. Far and away. This is... This is talk about your your impossible characters to play. <laughs> um, is it even really a character? No, a character, the character who who does not actually have a name, who is billed as young girl or young woman um, in in the uh, in the official credits. So it is a thing that when you watch a movie with closed captions, um, like I do, that mm-hmm. sometimes you get those spoilers in the movie because you know it's like <laughs> has a character's name and it, it's like they were you know he's her. Jesse Plum is referring to her as Lucy, but then mm-hmm. when you see the captions, it keeps responding as young woman, question mm-hmm. mark, question mark. <laughs> I also watch it with the, with the captions on. I just, I just had a sense that I was not, it was going to help me um, with this particular <laughs> movie. And I felt like it did to a point. Uh, I feel like I, I feel like I was kind of maybe sort of understanding what I was watching for the first uh, 75, 80 minutes. And then, and then the final act, really flies off the rails in a way that I, I, I couldn't even begin to explain. Um, but, <laughs> no spoilers because uh, not... we don't get it. <laughs> no, because we don't get it, so we can't spoil it. Um, if we tried to tell you what happened, uh, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't spoil a thing. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't. I, I oh, when they this movie felt so long. Oh, my uh, God. It also was. It, it also actually was like it's like an over two hour movie. Um, and like when they are leaving the family's house i was like whew okay good it's about to roll credits and then i paused to go get a drink and then i saw that there was an hour left (laughs) i was like are you telling me that it has not already been two fucking hours you could not (sighs) pry my eyes away from my phone (laughs) i looked at so much twitter i just told myself i wasn't gonna look up anything about the movie uh-huh. Uh, but I did spend uh, when I felt guilty for not looking at the screen. Uh, I did then look up all like the references as they were coming because this movie mm. needs a Cliff Notes book along with it, yes. which is cute. Um, <laughs> and then I felt like I was still participating in the movie watching experience before yeah. I went back to theater. You know, you you were doing a multi-screen experience. <laughs> um, no, I know I was reading something today that said that like you know you need like a master's degree in semiotics to follow the movie at all. Which, if, uh, there's nothing more to say about that movie. That is a perfect line, and I think you know where we're going with this. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, Charlie Kaufman uh, obviously has a, has a rich history of, 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 you know, making movies that combine, that at their best, combine very experimental approaches to, um, to writing and uh, structure uh, with really just a strong emotional undercurrent of sort of these different bittersweet emotions of sadness or regret, um, you know, going back to being John Malkovich on into eternal sunshine into adaptation, 
into Synecdoche, Synecdoche, New York and Anomalisa. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of all five of those movies. Um, and mm. certainly once he started directing his own work, it did get exponentially weirder. Um, <laughs> because then he was his own boss. And, uh, but he still on those last two movies ultimately had studios he had to work with to perhaps edit him and rein him in. But now this one's for Netflix and Netflix <laughs> is where indulgent artists go to indulge like they never have before because Netflix is just like, sure, do what you want. Um, <laughs> and uh, it turns out that's not good that, uh, you know, editing is actually your friend. And uh, this mm. movie, this movie is not interested in that in the slightest. It is not interested in uh, the audience, <laughs> their experience, <laughs> their ability to relate to the movie. Um, it is not approachable and I don't, uh, respect it for not trying to be. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's really, it's really not, uh, not interested. It's really and truly not interested in any of that stuff. I hate um, to compare it, everything to Mulholland Drive, but I'm gonna here yeah. in, in the difference being Mulholland Drive, although ultimately leading to maybe, uh, a theory you believe in or nothing, uh, still had these moments, and which was kind of the point of the movie, right? To have these little moments where you get caught up, so like caught up in the interest of the moment that you keep, you know, forgetting that it's it's all a movie or that it's all fake or that it doesn't mean anything. This movie mm-hmm. is the opposite. Not only do you, you know, for these like really obvious um, things, you need to look up these, you know, philosophers and sociologists. They talk about that you like are not going to understand this very specific reference unless, like you said, you have a what a master's degree in semiotics. Yeah. Um, but also just the, you know, it's, it's a very dialogue heavy, heavy movie. Um, and there's the, the way he tries to create this, this disconnect, um, in what I assume is because you're getting this kind of like compilation of, of memories of a story is makes it difficult to follow along. So it's not, people aren't having a, a continuous conversation. Like they're like interrupting each other at weird paces and like repeating themselves in a way that just is really alienating to the audience. You're not getting like wrapped up in these moments of them interacting or even the dialogue. I think that the, you know, for a little bit, it's the acting showcase that works again. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse Buckley is uh, especially captivating, but that only goes so far. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I'm, I'm, I was, I was this morning, I saw a quote on the Criterion Collections uh, uh, Instagram account. They had a post about being John Malkovich and a quote from Josephine Decker, uh, the filmmaker we've talked about recently because she made the movie Shirley. She is sort of one of the leading lights of more experimental avant-garde cinema at our current moment. And, um, and she had included being John Malkovich in her Criterion top 10 list. And, and she said, one of the most haunting things about the movie is that there's a logic to the madness and to how its world works. And that's very different from the poetic logic you find in Bergman or Tarkovsky. And, um, and that, that, that struck me because I think that it made me think that kind of, I expect there to be uh, logic and, you know, in reading her kind of call out being John Malkovich as being an, almost an outlier um, as an experimental film that has logic um, as opposed to poetic logic or dream logic. Um, and, and, th- and this is a movie that flashing forward, I'm thinking of ending things. I feel like there's just no logic at all. And, uh, mm. and that, and that infuriates me, but I guess, you know, a Josephine Decker would be like, oh yeah, well no, I mean, a movie doesn't have to have logic. And I'm like, 
you know, call me a provincial Westerner, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but, uh, but I I feel like I I like it to have some, um, I was, sorry, go ahead. Uh, No, I just, I'm, I feel like I could be, I'm on board with the idea of not having logic. If, if anything is interesting in the meantime, like Mm -hmm. it's, it's so, it seems purposeful at not making you, uh, want to, want to connect to the characters, care about what they're going through, uh, you know, builds these mini mysteries that are, are so fleeting and then it continues to devolve into a, 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 a chaos that even, I don't know, even if it didn't have logic, but if it was interesting enough, I think could get mm-hmm. you through these moments of these like, you know, capsule moments of illogical um, happenings, but it, yeah. it, it, nothing, nothing's there. No. And I, you know, I, I certainly thought when I was watching it that I had some understanding of what it was that I was watching. Um, you know, like, it, you know, we are our sort of ostensible understanding is that we're, you know, watching this couple on their way to see uh, the boyfriend's family. And we hear from, you know, the girlfriend's extensive uh, voiceover th- thoughts that she is unhappy in the relationship and thinks they are going to be breaking up soon. And, you know, then they get to the house and they, you know, they, they play a lot of, uh, they play the, you know, the, the parents played by Tony Collette and David Thewlis for maximum discomfort. Um, and just in lots of destabilizing edits that make it seem like the, the, the timeline is shifting in a really, uh, strange spongy way. And, but, you know, even all of that, I was like, okay, well, this all feels accurate for sort of just like anxieties of somebody if they're meeting their partner's parents for the first time and just imagining them getting older and, and worrying about the, the closeness of your partner with their parents and, you know, things like that. Like, I was like, okay, I'm with you. Um, and that's why when it was, when I thought it was over after that, I was like, oh, well, that was kind of interesting. <laughs> um, and then there was so much more. The movie honestly feels like a horror movie for a lot of its running time. Did you, did you mm. feel that at all? Yeah. I don't know if that's the Tony Collette of it all. Yeah, um, she's she goes full hereditary. Um, not you know not not all the way hereditary, but she is doing things with her face and her line readings and her laugh that are get deep under your skin in this movie. And there are some you know moments of grotesqueness. Um, yeah. the, there's some dead animals. Uh, yeah. There's like a you know a, a haunted basement. Um, and it did have horror movie uh, vibes to it, which also also was kind of. Uh, upsetting that it didn't even it didn't fulfill that either yeah yeah oh um so then so i'm thinking i'm knowing somewhat of what's going on and then just before we started to tape i was i found uh, an interview with charlie kaufman on IndieWire where he was quote unquote explaining the movie which interestingly enough this movie is not even an original screenplay this is an adaptation of a novel um and apparently the novel actually does explain itself but charlie coffin was like well i'm not interested in that and so he (laughs) you know in his in his adaptation of it he kind of stripped away any and all explanations um and made it into what he wanted to be which is his you know right as a filmmaker um but once i started to read even the first answer he had and i realized the extent to which i hadn't even begun to approach what his vision was I just kind of threw my hands up and, and just kind of closed the tab because I was like, okay, <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not going to read this and come to this episode of the show and pretend that I knew all these things because I didn't. Um, <laughs> like you usually you know. do. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm not going to do my usual thing of handing off um, things I just read as my own thoughts. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, it, it's this is I mean, I freely admit, nope, I didn't get it at all while watching it. I appreciated certain moments of it. I appreciate the performances. I appreciated so, you know, the audacity of the visuals and the narrative. 
Um, and, uh, and, you know, and there were moments that certainly I was having emotional reactions to the things throughout the movie. Um, even if uh, my baseline emotional reaction was just to serve a mounting impatience, uh, <laughs> with, what was, with what was going on. And, you know, I also admit that by the time we actually got to the finale, that's when I had gone full on looking on my phone. And, mm-hmm. um, so I was kind of like glancing at him and I was like, what the fuck is happening? Um, this is, you know, this is one of two movies we're talking about this week that has a big musical number you don't see coming. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> very true. Um, yeah. That, that baby dancing in the surrogate is really... Um, <laughs> yes, yes. I, I think movies that also reference critics, like, you know, in part of my uh, Googling to try to understand, you know, what was going on, there was the, this section in their car ride back where they talk, a review, like a... They read a Pauline Kael review mm-hmm. um, and then again start talking about this, like, sociologist, Marxist sociologist, about... Uh, film and cinema and like that always kind of also raises a red flag to me that there is some sort of like meta chip that the director writer is trying to uh get off their shoulder in this movie mm-hmm. making it unapproachable i don't i don't understand it enough to say that it is not feminist right but the vibe i have leaving it feels very predatory mm. boyfriend yeah. 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 I could see that. I mean, I think that that's kind of that's Kaufman's own baseline in all of his scripts is, you know, ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, like he he really is uh, somebody who puts himself into his uh, into his scripts and, you know, is very kind of open about sort of that how everything is sort of just a fragment of his own psyche. And, mm-hmm. you know, he himself is sort of a, you know, sad, frustrated white man. And. Uh, you know, and that certainly comes through just in the protagonists of, uh, you know, of, of being John Malkovich, of Eternal Sunshine, uh, you know, of Synecdoche, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like it's it's kind of just where he where he where he comes from, ultimately. And, um, you know, in, in Jesse Plemons, uh, God bless him, is, is, you know, is the kind of actor that just gives you the weirds, uh, you know, when he. <laughs> <laughs> when he you know like he he just you know he it doesn't take much for him to make you feel kind of unsafe and uh <laughs> and i can only imagine that that's what drew kirsten dunst to him and that's why they have a child together but um which will always boggle my mind um yeah right but, he's like if but jace lacy were uh jake lacy were a peeper <laughs> yeah 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 exactly i just saw jake lacy in something what was it uh he's always He's a cutie. Jesse He's Plemons. The opposite, right? Not so much. Can't be yeah. Creepy. You have to really sell, sell that one. But it, it's, yeah. it's weird to say, like, I, I, you know, I can't say for sure why, but to be left with that feeling from, from not mm-hmm. understanding the plot is also not like a great feeling. Like, I don't know what yeah. I ate, but I, I feel like I taste cilantro. <laughs> and I, ah! I taste like yeah. Cilantro, you know? Well, you know, and we, and we do have, well, I mean, it, it is true that sort of the female characters in the movie are generally not written in like a f- flattering or positive light. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, the sort of girlfriend who basically hates her boyfriend is biding her time to break up with him. We have this like psychotic mom who is wildly overcompensating and just sort of gnashing her teeth at people. We have like bitchy mean girl ice cream attendants, uh, you know, uh, and then we also have sort of like a old 
white janitor kind of, you know, moping through the hallways of a high school while teen girls mock him behind his back. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not difficult to find what feels like, you know, misogyny in, in its depiction of its female characters. Not that it depicts men as being much better. True. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I feel what you're saying. Uh, this is getting a send it back for, for, for me. Yeah. Um, I almost thought about rewatching the last like 30 minutes or so, since obviously it's like super easy to scroll to it on Netflix. Um, also to be way to brag that you have tons of time. <laughs> well, it is a holiday weekend. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess pff, I'm going to go with consume still. Um, wow. yeah, yeah. Just cause I feel like, I feel like just because I didn't get it, you know, it doesn't, I don't want to just be like, so I hate it, you know? <laughs> um, but you know, I think it's a totally valid response to it. And I certainly did not enjoy myself watching it, but you know, maybe it's a part of me that doesn't want to sound dumb to be like, oh, I didn't like it. So because I didn't understand it. See, I feel like um, the movie makes you feel that way and I hate it even more. I'm going to give it yeah. double send it back one for <laughs> you, one for me, regardless of what you say. Okay. Well, I hate that's that it did then. that to you. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I will not, I will not argue with your, with your double send it back. Thank you. Um, it is available on Netflix um, and it's rated R for language, including some sexual references. Movie number three is The Surrogate. A web designer for a nonprofit in Brooklyn is ecstatic to be the surrogate and egg donor for her best friend and his husband. Twelve weeks into the pregnancy, a prenatal test comes back with unexpected results that pose a moral dilemma. This is my pick of the week. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, whenever I uh, sent you the list of potential movies for uh, for this episode, this is one that you said. Well, obviously, we have to do that one. So, what uh, what was it right. about this one that made you want to watch it? Uh, well, the fact that you and Scott have asked me. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> no. Uh, because I had his drug. No. So... <laughs> right. <laughs> You're like, so try your best. You ain't, ain't getting nothing out of here. <laughs> um. This one just seemed fascinating. Uh, I love a good moral dilemma. And <laughs> you do. Uh, you do. And then, it, you know, I turned it on and saw that it was going to be a more tightly budgeted film than I had expected it to be. Mm, had some reservations. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I think that it does an excellent job of navigating a very complicated situation and um, allowing you know, people to engage with this, the character's um, struggle in a, in a very inviting way. I think I mean, for to say like, as opposed to, I'm thinking of ending things, which is like giving, you know, the audience, the Heisman, uh, this one is like, no, come, come here. What, 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 what are you going to do? What do you think we should do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 No, it's, uh, it's, it is, I was reading an interview with the, the filmmaker, a guy named Jeremy Hirsch, and uh, he was talking about his kind of the seed of this movie. And he was talking about how he had had a, a previous short film that he was playing out in like the gay film festival circuit and how he just kind of had the idea of like, why don't we try a totally different premise uh, for a queer film rather than the tropes that you see again and again and again and again, which I very much appreciate. Um, and he also wanted to refract the, the queerness of the story in a way that perhaps kind of called out, uh, white gay cis men, mm. uh, for their unexamined privilege. 
or should I say for our unexamined privilege. And uh, that also uh, a plus <laughs> um, <laughs> because boy, oh boy, did I hate the character of Josh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Really, really did not care for uh, the character of Josh, who is, you know, the... a million of them. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I prefer not to be around gay men that are as emotional as Josh gets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he's really, he is a basket case from frame one to the last to the end credits of this movie. And I'm just like, Oh my God, fucking calm down. Uh, I get that you're going through a lot, but it has some decency. Uh, so, so yeah, so we have a story here um, uh, about a young black woman played by Jasmine Bachelor in a knockout breakthrough performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, yeah, agrees to, um, and it, or we, we can talk about what the complication is, yeah? I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, who agrees to be a surrogate for her um, gay best friend and his uh, husband. And uh, and then once she is uh, successfully pregnant, uh, they do some prenatal screening, and uh, and it, it comes back that the baby is 99% confirmed uh, that it will have Down syndrome. And uh, and at first, uh, the everyone sort of decides that they will move forward with it. Uh, they you know go and spend time uh, at different community centers for children with Down syndrome and talk to parents of children with Down syndrome. And you know, but as we're watching, we get the sense that um, that the the mother is perhaps more excited and on board with this than the dads, who are you can see kind of getting increasingly uncomfortable and. Uh, you know, we, we, we can see what's coming. And, uh, and then as things go on, basically, you know, the mother and the dads just move in increasingly divergent directions on, on what to do, uh, with this, uh, with this pregnancy and boy, oh boy, like it is, it is a hot potato package inside through other hot potatoes. Like it is, (laughs) it is a turducken of hot potatoes, uh, the, (laughs) the, the moral quandaries, uh, presented in this movie. And they really come at it from every angle, um, you know, uh, they, they come at it from the angle of, you know, criticizing the privilege of the dads, um, uh, comparing uh, the idea of, um, you know, if, if all parents of children with Down syndrome were to have them aborted, is that eugenics? Um, you know, we have um, her, we have the mother's parents telling her they don't want her to be, you know, a single black mother. Uh, you know, we have so many. It, it, this movie is is really very, very thoughtful and very sensitive and really just covers every base that you could imagine in this conversation. Without being preachy. I, yeah, I, no. I think that, like, you know, with Jess being the vehicle, you you can see her point of view, I think, the clearest, the longest. And uh, the other opinions are kind of, you know, uh, a mirror to the point of view you're kind of uh, following along. But ultimately, I think that her character and, you know, maybe like her agenda or what this 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 uh, pregnancy has become to her is also kind of overshadows the moral argument that she's bringing because Mm -hmm. it becomes so much more than just this pregnancy. It becomes like um, this position that she has and she the the extreme uh, lengths she's willing to go in terms of, you know, cutting off relationships and uprooting everything. Going Coming from a person at the beginning of the movie is like talking about, you know, she can't make any commitments and she might be anywhere in a year to being now like thinking this is like the only way to make a difference in this particular community and anyone who doesn't agree with me is a complete monster. Mm-hmm. You know, also 
shine some light on you know the journey that you've been following with from her point of view might also have its flaws yeah no that's a good point um yeah, the movie it, the movie does not uh it's not so invested in um crucifying its its white gay male uh cis character that it makes Jess into a sort of completely unambiguously righteous correct heroine mm-hmm. um you know we we do see um you know that not, you know it's everyone's point of view and position in this movie is 100% understandable uh which is what makes it such fertile ground for for this kind of um this kind of drama because there is no obvious correct answer and everyone makes very valid points there are no unvalid points really that are brought up in this movie uh so you know it it is it is very rich uh in that sense i would say my 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 only kind of objection with this movie is it ultimately did not feel that it was a to me like it was about anything more than what it's about if you don't understand what i'm saying you know it was it's kind of an issue movie uh to me it to me it didn't feel like it ultimately had any larger themes um mm. beyond um you know because it takes the, the the scenario here is so incredibly specific um and so to me I just was not able to extract any larger meaning or thematic value from the movie beyond just what it is very much on the surface on the page about, which are these very specific issues in the scenario these characters find themselves in. So outside of some idea of like life can get real messy, um, I was not. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes people can just have a hard time. Um, I I didn't really I wasn't able to sort of find the higher higher meaning. Hmm. I think uh, I think kind of what I was talking about before with with Jess and and her seeking meeting at this point in life point in time. I, I think that the higher meeting is is something around millennial liberals. What happens when you know your ideals become something that's less theoretical and and more something you have to deal with? How do you react? And are you prepared to have those discussions? Are you prepared to to change your life or not? I think that like everyone's self-examination and their like ultimate weighing of what is good and what is right or what is good for them rises above the the what is happening a little bit. But Mm. but I I, I can I can see that that it's closely tied to this particular scenario. But I I, that does that I'm okay with that. I feel like it's rich enough, especially with, you know, all the different identities having all Mm -hmm. these like marginalized communities having their bit of privilege tested, I think is is fascinating. Yeah. um, And I, I, I could see your point you're making about how it, it can be about when idealism yeah when sort of young idealism young liberal idealism is tested by actual life um you know and uh and we do i mean i think that the, to me it almost would have been it would have made an interesting satire <laughs> um you know but instead mm-hmm. the movie that we have here is i i would i would feel pretty confident describing it as humorless um it is it mm. is very earnest yes. it is very earnest and very serious um in its in its in its examination of these characters and of the quandaries they face and of course in all due respect the quandaries they face are are extremely serious um so but you know i think it would have been i think a more interesting movie could have been more what you're describing if it had been something about where from the get all these characters are sort of espousing their ideals and then have this challenge thrown at them. But that's mm. not the case. We just I sort mean, of infer the values based on the characters and their various sort of racial and sexual and religious identities. You just need to just come clean and say you're trying to get that Citizen Ruth reboot going. <laughs> if only there was a good satire about <laughs> this subject. 
Um, but there is so, but uh, because that's and that's because that's another thing that you know I didn't necessarily pick up on until the character said as much. But we find out that Josh is also Jewish, so you know they really they really just they throw the whole kitchen sink uh, of intersectionality and uh, mm. of marginalized communities, like you were saying uh, in this particular uh, scenario as it plays out. Right, and and the um, the main character Jess is black, and her mother's the dean at Yale, and mm-hmm. she has a trust. So they're, I mean, these are uh, totally, you know, run-of-the-mill New York scenarios, Williamsburg <laughs> scenarios. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really something. But uh, but you know, uh, at the end of the day, I think it's a a really impressive uh, debut film for Jeremy Hirsch. Uh, I love that he is thinking outside the box when it comes to what a queer film can be. And, you know, it, to your point, it is very, you know, it very much is low budget. And, you know, we, we are aware that we're not watching many actors who perhaps are, are professionals. Um, but, uh, but it's still a great performance by Jasmine Bachelor. I mean, this is a, a leading role that requires extensive interiority and emotional range. And, uh, and I think that she is, yeah, gives a great, great performance that I hope is recognized at the spirit awards or something. Mm-hmm. What are you giving this one? For me, this is like a consume plus. Ooh. Um, this is a binge it for me. As I said, pick of the week, uh, it's available on Apple, Amazon and Google and is unrated, but would probably be R for language. Here it is, Jason. <laughs> Our fourth movie of the week, which is, the binge <laughs> set in a time where all drugs and alcohol are illegal. The only day anyone can participate in the fun is on binge day. So there is some <laughs> binge merch in this movie. We need to get printed. Not only is there binge merch, but there's multiple, uh, multiple uh, dialogue clips that we should be using in the show. Mm, there's, I think that there's, there's, there's a theme song. There is, there's like lots of people being like, here's to the binge. And you know, <laughs> Uh, there's so much that we could lift from this movie. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we just need to kind of strip it for parts uh, and it'll be better. <laughs> it'll be better served uh, for our purposes than it is uh, on its own as a movie. Oh, you didn't like it. I know. No, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I will not be binging the binge. No, no, wow. no. I, I described it the other day uh, to a friend as a real cheap fart of a movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, uh, and he was like, not even an expensive fart. I'm like, no, 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 that's a cheap fart. Wow. Yeah, no, I, uh, I don't have a lot nice to say about this particular film. Um, it is very easy for me to summarize what I did appreciate, so I shall do so. Um, I, I thought that the three uh, young lead actors were all very funny, very charismatic. Um, I am particularly a fan of um, the lead actor, Skylar uh, Gazondo who I first saw on Santa Clarita Diet and who then was in Booksmart as well as the long-haired kid in this movie is also on Booksmart. Mm-hmm. Um, Skylar Gazondo has this kind of very unique, uh, he, has a, he has a killer comedic timing. He has this kind of great presence where he seems very kind of awkward and nerdy, but also can read cute. Um, and uh, he's, just, he's just sort of like a modern day, you know, ducky type. So he, I think, is he's one that I'm always excited to see. Uh, the other two guys are fantastic as well. Vince Vaughn, I mean, he's there. And he, you know, <laughs> reminds you that he's not just a Republican. He can also half-ass the line reading. Um, and uh, I was horrified to learn that the actress who plays sort of like the the crush, uh, Grace Van Dien, is the daughter of Casper Van Dien, the, uh, oh. Aryan, heart, the Aryan heartthrob star of Starship Troopers. 
Uh, so once just another just another one of those jarring things as you realize that the today's movie stars are indeed the children of the movie stars of your youth. So that is always troubling. Um, but I mean, this movie just wasn't funny to me. It just wasn't funny. Uh, like I, I don't think that I ever laughed um, the entire time I was watching it. You know, the premise is dumb. Uh, you know, it, I guess it's you know it's the meant binge. to be. How stupid is that? <laughs> exactly, it's a stupid title. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, and because it, it kind of it once it, it it simultaneously it has two concepts that don't go together because on you know the first concept is like oh what about if it's a parody of the purge movies called the binge, but then the other concept oh is I didn't even ba- get that like binge and purge <laughs> right because we we famously yeah. decided to not have purge be our send it back. Oh, uh, send it back is where we landed on that one, and they originally those fucking movies. <laughs> exactly, so it all worked out for the best because I have not seen any of the Purge movies. But so it's simultaneously it's meant to be a parody of the Purge, but in the loosest possible sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and because mainly what it's out to do is just be an old-fashioned teen party movie. That's it. Which it which it is and nails. It's a uh, it's the one night of the year where everyone gets to binge. And the seniors are doing it for their first time. And we have a story of three nerdy types who are trying to do everything so that um, the main character, Griffin, can get to the big party at the end of the night and, and ask his girl to prom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it, is it, would you call the premise dumb? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the, that's the, that's the very cerebral term I used. Yeah. Um, I see you're also quoting Pauline Kale here with your reviews. <laughs> Um, you know what's funny? That Pauline Kale book they showed um, in his bedroom in that movie, I, I do have. So I will, <laughs> I do have my, my copy of Four Keeps. Uh, so that is also on my shelf. But anyway, back to you. Um, I think it works. And I think that I was, I was laughing earlier because I think you're going to get so mad at it when I, when I say what this movie kind of reminded me of. Uh-huh. It kind of reminded me of Strangers with Candy. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, okay okay yeah you're I'm, taking it better I'm, than i thought um <laughs> in a way mad i'm just trying to i'm just trying to like think see if i can agree with you or not there are all these kind of like sort of kind of similar to bill and ted these like throwaway lines that happen i found this movie hilarious um yeah, yeah. uh i think this also has a for being a party teen party movie with like you know three three young boys trying to get the girl is like, and with Vince Vaughn generally comes up being not like super sexist or uh, homophobic, uh, you know, feel sweet. You know, the, the, the big finale about, you know, uh, friends helping each other is, was a surprise to me. And I thought it was really cute. Uh, the premise is so dumb and just like, you know, how they're just, you know, drugs you get by the handful uh, all over the place on this one night. And and I think that it's so excessive and so crazy that you you sign away at the beginning of the movie that it's not even going to be realistic and, and you can enjoy it for how silly it is. And then it's just all of these things that you are going to com- completely not expect to happen next. These They have this thing called the gauntlet at the end of the night of the big party where these teams compete to be like the most badass of the binge night and the, they have these like four four games and if you would have guessed any of them I would have given you a million dollars Jason they're <sighs> stupid as fuck but they're so, I just I was I was really impressed with how uh random this movie was in and in that randomness I found it to be funny and sweet 
huh. Boy, I'll tell you, between this and Eurovision, quarantine's really turning into a fan of stupid, stupid comedies. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and take your comfort where you can. I, I'm, I, I don't hate on that at all. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish that it had the same effect on me, but it did not. Uh, I was it the entire time watching it. I I was just like, this movie is scum. Uh, and it is not even worth watching because it's not even trying and it's not clever and it's not funny. And, uh, and it is, it is just such a low, low rent facsimile of a facsimile of a facsimile of a better teen party movie. Um, that like, I, yeah, like so little of it registered with me at all. Uh, it was just, yeah, it was just like a, yeah, dead dial tone, uh, humor wise for me. Um, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> um, there's this like weird hurdle at the, at the beginning. I think once you get over Vince Vaughn's like weird speech as a principal to his school, which was uh-huh. cruel and, and strange. Uh, I feel like past that it sails into um, hilarity. And there is this week's second surprise musical number. <laughs> there is. And I did enjoy that song. Uh, they, I th- it seemed like they actually really had people who com- who understand musical theater uh, write the arrangement of that song. Yeah, uh, it feels it feels like they're really angling for the binge, the musical. So we'll have that to look forward to someday. <laughs> and you know, it occurs to me that it's really ultimately appropriate that you and I are fighting about the binge. Uh, yeah. So it's, it wouldn't be a, a meta review of the binge on the binge if we weren't disagreeing in our meta review of the binge on the binge. <laughs> and I would love to hear what other people think of the binge. Um, <laughs> Because but uh, but by all means, when you leave reviews for us on the on the on Apple Podcasts, make sure you're reviewing us, not the binge the movie. These are separate <laughs> entities. Uh, are you giving this one a send it back? I am. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm giving yeah, it a binge I, it. <laughs> I mean, this is this is the best way that this could have ended. So I feel like we're really <laughs> I feel like we're the the conceit of this is 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 paying off. So uh, so good job us. Man, do I miss partying? <laughs> and in between this and the rental you're just like oh. okay this is the 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 cocaine challenge at the end mm-hmm. no that didn't make you laugh no. at all no i was like this is cheap and disgusting wow <laughs> wow yeah i'm not gonna no. ruin it for for our fans who <laughs> need to know what the other part of the cocaine challenge is but uh you can imagine. all right you can well maybe not um <laughs> The binge is on Hulu, right? And it's rated, rated TVMA for language, violence, substance abuse, and sexuality. Not That's even it. when he sends her the text. Okay, never mind. <laughs> and now that the binge has reviewed the binge, uh, we will spontaneously combust and, uh, and conclude the run <laughs> of our show. This is our so. meta version. This is our Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> this is. <laughs> yeah, this it really does. It does speak to like sort of like the 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 limbo of our times that uh that we're left to review movies named after our own show and disagree about them <laughs> um when we speak again it's going to be the, your last show from the from the house yep next episode will be the last last one recorded here and uh here in the space that we've recorded every episode since like the second or third one and uh and then after that we'll, we'll have, a, have a whole different uh space around me and we'll see what that does to my audio <laughs> how exciting um, thank you so much for listening. Um, be sure to subscribe on iTunes if you're an Apple iPhone user or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Um, Jason is on Twitter at... Oh, you know what? That text was funny. Sorry, I didn't remember at first when you said no, even when he texted her. Yes, that was funny. <laughs> that was pregnant. Uh, he's like, and he's like, I doubled down. Uh, <laughs> he's really funny. I no, think he, maybe, that's what I, I, think, I said. I think, he's yeah, I'm thinking about, I'm actually listening to what you said this time. And um, <laughs> I know you didn't acknowledge any of it. I said no. the kids are great. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm listening. And yeah, that they really do. Land it. Yeah. yeah. They anyway. Do. They do. <laughs> anyway. So yes, my Twitter and Instagram handles are excess baggage. I am at Fight Balance. Thank you so much. Bye guys. Bye bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.